Good morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to be here uh, to see all of you and uh, to get to spend this time fellowshipping, worshiping, uh, just spending time with each other and with God. We are about five weeks into the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're spending the summer going through the book of Luke, looking at some of the teachings of Jesus, and today we land on uh, the parable of the sower. It's in Luke chapter 8. Um, yeah, so let me pray for us, and then we'll get to it. Father, thank you for this morning, for this day. Thank you for the love that you have shown us through your Son. God, we ask desperately with humble hearts to please reveal to us the truth of your love and your word that we may follow in confidence and boldness, acting in worship towards you and not out of fear of man. Show us where we are wrong. Strengthen us where we are right. Humble our hearts either way. And please show us how desperately we need your son in his death and his resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So I love, I say it every time I'll be here, I love doing this. I really do. I love preaching. Uh, I love talking to groups of people where they won't necessarily respond. And uh, at least immediately. Because I am, I'm a bit of an introvert um, we're all introverts and extroverts, but I'm perfectly content to sit quietly in a group full of people all alone. doesn't bother me one bit. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I just really enjoy preaching the word of God and being up in front of people, not because it's all about me and like, yeah, but, um, I really enjoy this and I really enjoy my time alone. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. But I'm really glad to be up here. I really am. And uh, excited to learn and fulfill the, the purpose of my life that God has, has established and set forth. And that's sort of what I want to talk about this morning through this parable is what's our purpose? Why are we saved? What, what's this new life that God has given us and what are we supposed to do with it? And we, we all know and it's amazing that God saved us because he loves us and, and he desired that we would have life and that we would not die. Um, great, what do we do with this life? I mean, we're still here. It's not like we receive salvation and beam up to heaven. That'd be It'd be great. Um, but why, what do we do with this new life? What is our purpose as the saved children of God? So I can't remember exactly where this quote comes from. I think I read it in a textbook. I don't even know who says it, and I don't even know exactly what it says. But it goes something like, um, the gospel, when it is preached, as it's received, should should either convict or offend those who hear it. And convict, we understand, we get that, the desire to change and be transformed. But offend, 
I want to just kind of define that a little more. It's not, uh, it's not that it should turn people away or make them angry and uh, want to not listen, but it should sort of ruffle their feathers, sort of shake up their worldview, cause us to look at our lives and at our society and, and think, hang on, what you're saying is, in, is sort of contradicting some of what I believe I should wrestle, they should wrestle with this. It should, it should stir us up. And often I think we're so obsessed and it's just human nature to want to please people, to not want to offend anyone or step on anyone's toes, uh, act and speak in such a way that people like us and, uh, and aren't offended and that... We can just speak generalities so everybody is happy and gets along. Um, and I, uh, that's something I struggle with and wrestle with a lot, especially with the desire to be up here and preach. You know, I want to spend my life preaching the Word of God. I certainly don't want to be turning people away, but I certainly don't want to be compromising truth. Um, so I'm constantly desiring God to. In, give me wisdom and teach me his truth. Uh, always willing to be wrong on most stuff. Jesus was the son of God. He died. That stuff's really great, but other stuff that's debated and argued, I'm, if God shows me I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. That's great. Please, God, show me I'm wrong. Um, but I struggle with that because Because really we're, we're called to serve God and not people. And, and at what point do we just sort of hold our ground and say, this is the word of God. I'm really sorry you don't like it. I wish you did. We, please, let's keep talking about it. But I'm not going to butter it up for you anymore. Um, And so I wrestle with that. Well, like, what words do I choose? And how blunt should I be? Because uh, my personality is kind of just, yeah, let's knock them down. Um, but that has its place, and it doesn't have its place. So the reason I struggle with this is because the purpose for which I'm called for, the purpose for which the church is, has been saved, um, is to bear fruit, ultimately, to serve God, to bring about transformation in the world by the preaching of his word. And, and I struggle, you know, where's that line? Because I don't want to be standing at the gates of hell holding them open and, and with a smile just watching people walk by. You know, I want to... That's that's unacceptable to just, yeah, I love you. Have a good time. Um, and I don't certainly want to be mean-spirited, but I don't want to just, I don't want to offend you, so I'm not going to say anything. Go right on in. And Charles Spurgeon has this quote that I absolutely love. Um, he says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. 
If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. And I love that because it hits on not just the importance of the gospel and people's response to it, but the desperation with which we, the church, should be seeking out the world and sharing this good news of hope and salvation. And we talk about injustice. The world talks about injustice. Christians, the church, we talk about injustice. It's, uh, we have great examples of massive injustice. But I really think that, um, that the church can often commit the greatest injustice. The, the Christians... And this hit me as I was watching the movie 12 Years a Slave, thinking, man, man, that is, I hate that. Um, but what kind of the afterthought of that was, because in that movie there's a part where, where a guy, is, uh, a white slave owner is, is quoting scripture as he um, is whipping one of his slaves. And I think, oh, I cannot believe that God's word was used in that way. I want, I just want to call down fire from heaven in the past on that guy. Um, even though it was a movie. Um, it'd be really cool if it just appeared on the screen. Um, like, my heart breaks for that. It really, uh, it kills me. And but this injustice that I feel we, the church can often slip into is, is we know the truth. We know the word of God. We know and we believe that apart from God, apart from having Jesus as our Savior, uh, a human being will enter into hell. And yet, we shy away from uncomfortable conversations. We neglect to have conversations. We, uh, we aren't kind when we should be kind. We don't love when we should love. We don't have self-control when we should have self-control. And we just let the world walk right on by on their way to hell. And I, and I think Charles Spurgeon got it. How... I can't believe that I would do that. And every time that I sort of neglect to share the gospel or live out the gospel, to communicate the gospel in some way to someone that doesn't know it, I feel this sense of injustice in myself as, as my actions really declare that, that my comfort, my own well-being in that moment is more important than, than the eternal soul of another of God's creation. And that really sickens me. I, I, I don't want to do that. I want with the, this desperation and this urgency that Spurgeon speaks of to plead and warn and, and drag down and hold on the ground and just scream, listen, please, let's just talk. Come on. So how does this tie into the parable of the sower? It does, I promise. Um, and in two ways, really. We're only going to talk mostly about the second, but the first 
is that this parable teaches us that the word of God will be fruitful uh, no matter what the opposition, right? The word of God will go out and it will save God's creation regardless of what comes up against it. And the second, it reveals to us the purpose for why we have been saved and it calls us to respond to the word by bearing fruit. So I want to talk about, again, our purpose in this new life that we have in Christ. So again, we're in Luke 8, and uh, I'll read it for us now. It's chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. It says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in the parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and some fell on the rock and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it and some fell into good soil and and grew and yielded a hundredfold as he said these things he called out he who has ears to hear let him hear And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, this par- now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So this parable depicts really four types of people, um, four types of soil. And and I want to say before we start to um, dissect them that, that really I think Jesus is painting for us the picture of someone's entire life. Not just a, how do you respond today to the gospel, but what is someone's overall response throughout their life? When they die, they will have been one of these four types of soils. So it's easily broken down into three sections. First, Jesus tells the parable. Then he explains why he uses parables. And then finally, he explains what this particular parable means. So Jesus' explanation or his reason for why he teaches in parables seems a little like his disciples didn't ask him, why, Jesus, do you teach in parables? Um, But it really fits in quite well with um, the message that Jesus is trying to communicate. And so we'll talk about that first. We'll talk about why did Jesus teach in parables? And again, this is what he said. To you, speaking to his disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand.
Really, the word of God divides people into two categories, two groups. Those that follow and those that don't. Those that obey and those that disobey. Those that accept and those that reject. To those that follow Christ, the, the parables reveal truth and insight into God's plan and they, uh, they teach uh, lessons and uh, bring about transformation. To those that don't follow, the parables are judgment. And they conceal God's plan. So to those that believe Christ is Savior, to those that reject Christ is judge. A truth that is expanded on in this parable. So a bit of background before we get into these four soils to help us just envision what Jesus is saying with his words is that um, the sowing of the seed in this part of the world took place between um, October and December during the rainy season. And then the harvest would take place around June. So in between harvest and the next year's sowing, so in between June and October, December, um, the field was left untouched. No plowing, no weeding. um, They just left it alone. So when did plowing take place? It's debated. It's a really exciting debate. Um, Either right before or right after the sowing of the seed. Um, There's arguments for both, and uh, it's really exciting, but it doesn't matter really for what the purpose of what Jesus is teaching. Um, So you can Google it if you want. Um, So this rock then, there's a thin layer of limestone under the topsoil. So it's not like this field is full of boulders and gravel and and rocks, Um, but underneath the topsoil is uh, limestone, is rock, this bed of rock. And so it's not necessarily uh, easily spotted. Just as you're looking out over a field, you wouldn't notice, oh, there's a spot of of rock where there's no topsoil. So this rock that Jesus speaks of is just uh, areas of the field where the topsoil has been washed away or dug up or removed somehow. And then these thorns, these weeds... I was surprised to learn that they can grow up to six feet tall, which is right about here. Um, and that they, they suck so much nutrients out of the soil that they either prevent other things from growing or they literally choke out anything else. They are nasty weeds. Um, and we all know that it is impossible to get all the weeds out of anything um, So they are always present. So hopefully that helps us envision sort of what Jesus is saying, gives us a picture, helps us see it a little more clearly. Um, So now the four types of soil, and these are really four types of people, four four lives that have uh, played out. So the seed that falls on the path, as Jesus explains, is trampled and devoured. These are people who hear the word, but in no way receive it. They really hardly even listen. They just hear a noise. And they immediately reject it. And Jesus explains that this is because Satan has taken the word from their hearts so that they can't believe. 
these people are those that at the end of their life never even considered the gospel, never even considered the word of God. They, for whatever reason, constantly rejected it. And again, we know people like this in our lives where they just don't want to hear it. And so I'm not saying, and Jesus is not saying, that we just stop sharing with them. Because again, we're looking back on someone's entire life. That person who now rejects it might come to be good soil with persistence and love and kindness. But still, there are those people at the end of their life, they were that hard soil, a hard heart. And this becomes a little more clear when we see, I went to the Sounders game last week, and there's, uh, there's always these people at the games with their megaphones preaching the gospel. They're preaching repentance and wrath and the love of God, all these things just very in your face. Uh, right there, hundreds, thousands of people walking by. And, um, and you just see people, nobody listens. And, and if you can just kind of, you know, think what you want about the method, right or wrong, that's not what I'm trying to talk about, but if you can just kind of picture someone walking by, that's, if that's their entire life played out, where the gospel is, is preached to them, it's there, it's available, and they just ignore it, reject it, walk by. Um, even myself, I'm like, hey, uh, don't associate with me, please. People don't like you, okay? Um, so we know those people. But the seed that falls on the rock... Oh, sorry, let me back up. This is important. So these people have been deceived, again, the ones that fall on the path. They, they have hardened their heart toward God. And because of that, they, they just never listened in their life. And it's not because God can't save them but it's because they don't want to be saved. Now the seed that falls on rock grows for a short time, but it withers because it's, it has no root. It can't get the, the moisture, the nourishment it needs from the ground. These are the people that hear the word of God. They receive it with joy, as Jesus says. But eventually they become distracted by the temptations and the worries of this world. And they lose sight of the kingdom of God and its truth. Eventually, these temptations, these worries, they become more important. Sorry. Sorry, I just skipped ahead. We're talking about rock. These are the people, they hear it, they receive it with joy, but when they're tested, when their faith is tested, um, they fall away. They lose faith. They let go of God. The cost of living for Jesus proves to be too great. And their faith withers. These trials might be persecution, financial hardship, or even health complications where people, where those, those are meant to sort of shake us up and, and they're meant to propel us toward God and trusting him more. But, but for these people, it was too much and they let go. The problems seem bigger than God and they just simply give up. Not because God can't bring them through the trial, but because they don't trust him. So now the seed that falls among thorns, 
grows for a while, but, but eventually is choked out by the weeds and it, it doesn't bear fruit. Its fruit doesn't mature. So these thorns are the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. These are the temptations and the distractions of the world that might cause someone to lose sight of the kingdom of God. Eventually these temptations become more important than the person's faith. They take priority. Now these temptations could be wealth, power, sex, or control. While the worries could be a home or a home life, a career, school, even family. These people grow, but they don't mature. Not because God can't grow them, but because they do not worship him alone. And ultimately, idolatry takes over. So before we get to the good soil, I want to just kind of talk about these three and group them into a category. The first is pretty clear. We understand these people that reject the gospel at the end of their life um, will come under the judgment of God. Christ is judged for them. But the the second two soils, the rock and the thorns, we we start to read into it, well, are these people saved? Uh, do they still go to heaven? Do they go to hell? Less reward, more reward? Which one's better than the other? And that's not what Jesus is saying. And we shouldn't read that into this parable. But what Jesus is communicating, that all three of these responses to the word are, are wrong. That Jesus speaks of all three of them in a negative way. That Jesus does not desire any of these responses. He only desires one response. And that's because the word of God has a purpose. That that God gave us his son and a new life for a purpose. And that purpose is to bear fruit. Just as a farmer sows seed in the ground so that it would grow up and produce fruit, so God has given us his word that it would produce fruit in our lives. Neither of these three soils produce any fruit. Not one is better than the other. Sure, the one among thorns actually grows a little bit than the one that gets devoured, but ultimately, that's not how we are meant to respond. All three of them are useless. There is no use for them. There is no use for an apple tree that doesn't produce apples. There's no use for corn stock that doesn't produce any corn. We plant things for a purpose. If they don't fulfill that purpose, they are useless. God has given us a new life for a purpose. If we don't seek after and fulfill that purpose, then of what use are we? So now the good soil, the good stuff, the seed grows, it produces a hundredfold, it bears fruit. These are people who hear the word, they accept it, plant themselves in it, and they focus only on it. They produce fruit for God through patience, perseverance, and worship. They, th- this is the seed that is fulfilled 
its purpose in being planted. This is the person that, that has served God with their life, has produced fruit, has been helpful in working alongside God and allowing God to work through them. So again, I want to just emphasize that this is not just today, what kind of soil are you? But at the end of your life, what kind of soil will you have been? Will you have produced fruit for God? Or will, will you have been useless? And that's a, that's a strong word. Nobody wants to be useless. Um, but there is a correct way to respond to the word of God. There is a correct life to live and that is in service to God we do not receive salvation so that we can suddenly be all that we want to be and live for ourselves we receive salvation so that we can obey so that we can live our lives for God it is a sinful life that lives for itself it is a righteous saved person that lives for God we are saved so that we can obey to obey is a privilege and an honor because to obey is life. So I want to talk about, well, what are these fruits? And for us individually, it's different because we're all different people living different lives. What is this fruit you are meant to bear? But in a more general sense, we can uh, look at the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what we are meant to live for. That's what we are meant to produce. That is the purpose of God sending His Son into this world. That is the purpose of of God working through us to produce these fruits. And I don't know specifically what that looks like for you in your day-to-day life. But I know that you and I need to love. That we need to be kind, patient. We need to have joy. Self-control, gentleness. What does that look like for you in your daily life? Where can you love? Where can you be kind? Where can you have self-control? Where can you be patient? Where can you be gentle? This word love really stands out to me a lot this morning because the word love has just been everywhere this past week with the Supreme Court's ruling. Um, Everybody's saying, love wins. I love everyone. I love you no matter what. Um, Just love, 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 love. And, you know, it's not bad, but I wonder, what do you you mean? What do you mean? What does it mean to love someone? I really wonder what that means, especially as a Christian. I only have like maybe two non-Christian friends on Facebook. So these are all Christians that I'm seeing loving something. But what does that mean? Um, 
And for me, I mean, love is, is huge. That's a big word for me. I've spent a lot of time thinking about what does it mean that God loves me? What does it mean for me to love others as God does? I mean, what is love? And in the English language, it means a ton of different things. What does it mean to love as a fruit of the Spirit? For me, that means living out what Spurgeon is talking about. Love is not watching someone run toward a cliff and just say, I love you. That's not love for me. Love is not watching your child reach for the hot stove and just saying, I love you. Go for it. Love is is speaking the truth even when people don't want to hear it and even though we know they will reject it. Love is warning people of what they might not be able to see because they're blinded by pride or selfishness or idolatry. I need this in my life too. I need people to tell me to stop. Look at what you're doing. I need that love. Love is not just, it's... What is love? What does it mean to love people? And, um, and that's huge today in our culture. That is, what does it look like for the church to love? What does it look like for Christians to love? This is why Jesus came. This is why he lived. This is why he died. This is why he rose again, so that we would live for him and produce fruit so that we would love, so that we would be kind, gentle, self-controlled, patient, so that we would be different, so that we would stand out. To produce fruit in our hearts so that we can live for His glory, for God's glory, that we might again serve God and worship Him. Jesus came to free us from the thorns, from the shallowness, from the hardness, to soften us, to work in us by his Holy Spirit, to move us and change us, transform us from the inside so that we can be this good soil, so that we can have a purpose. There is no purpose outside of serving God. There really isn't. At the end of the day, what's it all for if not for the one true living God. We are a field created by God for the purpose of His glory. And so what type of, what type of soil are you going to be? Rich shares this quote. I like it. How you live your life today is how you will live your life because your life is made up of many days. And, and what that means really is is there is no someday. There is no, oh, I'll get to it later. You know, I'll, I'll start bearing fruit at some point in my life, I'm sure. Something will just click. No, there's just today. That's all you have today. And again, we're not talking about just how you will respond today, but it still works in your life is made up of many days. So what you do today will dictate your life. The choices you make today will become your life choices. 
I just want to share one last little, maybe a couple, they'll tie together, I think. Um, but again, what does it mean to love? Does it mean, I mean, I don't even know how to put it in this context of just watching people walk by. But as Christians who believe something to be true and that it is, it is against what the world believes, what does it mean to love? Because this world is in a dead sprint straight for death. Those who live apart from Christ are working their way toward death. That's the, that's the truth. I was there once too and I pray to God that I don't ever go back there. This world is dead set on driving straight off that cliff. And are we not compelled by the love of Christ that has so impacted our lives to, to see them running towards death and to say, stop, just please stop. Don't, you, have, you don't know what you're doing, please. With desperation and love in our voices and in our actions to say, stop, you're going to die. Apart from Christ, people are going to die. That's a big deal. That's a massive deal. Let us warn them in love. Let us pray for them in love. Let's tackle them in love. Say, please, you don't know what you're doing. Would you please listen to the only God that loves you? Because we have opportunities to do that. We have opportunities to say to those around us, stop, listen, please, God loves you, Jesus died for you, please. And for me, as I've said before, I work uh, at a school for behaviorally challenged kids, and I work one-on-one with uh, a 10-year-old girl. And I've been with her almost a year, like in a week it'll be exactly a year. I spend eight hours a day with her five days a week, and she does not leave my sight unless she's going to the bathroom. I spend a lot of time with this girl. I put a lot of energy into her life. I've suffered a lot physically, emotionally. I've still got bite marks on my arm from three weeks ago. Emotionally, having a love for this girl that doesn't seem to want, doesn't seem to move her to change. But, um, so I drive to her house every morning and we get picked up and driven to school. And so I talk with her mother every morning and she usually says, well, this is how she's doing today. Uh, she, almost every morning she says, good luck. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, but this one particular morning, it was during the last week of school, which was about, was two weeks ago. Um, she said, she just started to thank me. She said, thank you for, for your time 
and your patience and your kindness and, and your gentleness and for the love that you have shown my daughter. And she started to cry. She was overcome with just this emotion. And I was like, it's really nice for someone to notice. Um, but then it was getting kind of awkward because she kept going. And, and she said, to think that we would have a male aide, you know, a 28-year-old guy with a 10-year-old girl, uh, things can go wrong, especially when she is running away from me, screaming. I don't know what people think. I don't care. I chase um, she's saying to think that we would have a male aide that would show such love to our daughter is out of this world and she's saying again you've been so patient and kind and just gentle and understanding and, and I sat there I, I was standing I wasn't sitting and I said well thank you you know it's hard for a lot of us to accept compliments, and I just kind of want to get in the car and leave, but I said, thank you, and she's crying, and she kept going on, thank you, thank you, thank you, I can't say enough, thank you. Um, I got in the car, and we drove away, and that was it. Um, and and I have, to, I have to tell her, when I see her again in a week, when I go back to work, I have to tell her, I say, that wasn't me. I'm not the one loving your daughter. I'm not the one being patient. I'm not the one being gentle and understanding. I'm not the one exercising self-control. That is not me at all. Believe me, it is not humanly possible to put up with some of the things that this school goes through. And I have to tell her, I said, that, that's Jesus. That's God loving your daughter through me. It is an out-of-this-world love. You need to know that. I have to tell her, I, can't, I cannot live with myself if I let her believe that that was a human love. I mean, what an injustice that would be to God to take that credit from him. And so it's not just doing these things, but it's explaining why we love. Figure out what love is. Do it and explain why. I love because God loves. So worship team, please come up. And I just want you to, to think and consider what does it look like for you to bear fruit in your daily life? And just look at the, the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians. What does it look like for you to do all of those each and every day? and to allow God to do it through you by the work of his spirit to bear fruit I know that you want to bear fruit for God and be useful so let's do it and let me pray for us Father thank you for this, this morning for this time thank you for the love of your son which is truly beyond measure and words please help us God to understand the deepness of your love of your patience, of your understanding, of your kindness, of your gentleness, so that we would allow you to work through us. Please, Father, humble our hearts and allow us to submit to your Spirit that, that you would love through us. Give us the courage to explain 
why we have such a love. It's because of your son, and we thank you for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.